might call it chaos, but it's really not chaos because he's still getting things. Well, and nobody's brought up his love life or porn stars or anything Ooh. else like that. No, you know, Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. Just days after the State of the Union, all the talk in Washington surrounds this controversial memo about the FBI and the Russia investigation. And today we're getting reaction from Indiana lawmakers and getting their thoughts on this past week's State of the Union address. The state of our union is strong because our people are strong. That was the president Tuesday night in his first State of the Union address. But for much of the week since, the focus has been on this back and forth between the president and the FBI and Congress. This controversial memo from the Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee released on Friday. The memo alleging bias against the president. But Democrats say it doesn't tell the whole story. As that memo came out Friday, I spoke with Indiana Congressman Andre Carson, a Democrat who's a member of that Intelligence Committee. This week, I also spoke with Republican Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana. I read the memo. Um, I thought the memo was, um, was significant enough that it should be released to the American people, that it raised some serious questions about uh, some of the investigations uh, of the 2016 election, and, uh, and, there, and there should be accountability applied to those who were involved. But saying that, in no way does I think the memo, do I think the memo minimizes the ongoing uh, Mueller special investigation of, of, uh, of Russian collusion in the 2016 election. I think that's that, that investigation remains important, and uh, I'm hopeful that it will come to a con uh, conclusion in the near future and that that report and that, and that investigation will be released to the American people as, as well. But this, this particular memo that we read um, over the past week uh, does, does provide some startling uh, uh, details that as well uh, should be transparent, made transparent to the American people. Let, let them de decide for themselves um, uh, what the next step should be and, and what type of accountability should be applied. Well, I'm disappointed. Um, I think the memo is, is, is misleading, um, that, which is why the Democratic memo, the counter memo, um, can provide some context to, to a degree um, and levity to the issue. But ultimately, I think that this Republican memo is a political ploy to, one, protect their caucus in an election year and to ultimately protect the president. They want to minimize um, the Mueller investigation to the, to the point where um, these, these FISA requests that were made um, a while ago will look like a mere attempt at opposition research when in fact uh, there has been credible evidence to suggest that the Russians have um, had contact with members of the Trump campaign and the Russians were intent and it's been proven that they interfered in our elections and they're likely to interfere in the 2018 elections. We also heard this past week the administration may not be implementing some of the Russia sanctions you voted for in Congress. What was your reaction to that news? I, I'm, I'm deeply troubled by that news. Uh, the, the Congress did vote uh, to apply strong sanctions on Russia uh, due to for, for a number of different reasons from uh, their their uh, intrusion in our election process in 2016, which is undisputable. In terms of big picture, we all have an objective, and that objective is to make sure our taxpayer dollars are put to good use and that our national security apparatus is safe and sound and whole. And I think what this does, I think it muddies the political water, it fans the flames of disillusionment, and it provides cover, or attempts to provide cover, 
for a president who has been critical of the intel community, critical of the FBI, and I think his criticism is rooted in a deep fear that those folks are trying to make a connection between his campaign and the Russian government. Speaking of the president, I also want to get your reaction to the State of the Union, the president chiding Democrats for their lack of applause. What's your reaction and what did you think of the speech? Well, I thought it was um, a standard speech. I thought that his job numbers were misleading, particularly as it related to job numbers across the spectrum and specifically African-American job numbers. Uh, Those improvements were made, obviously, under the Obama administration. But in terms of his criticism about applaud, I mean, look, when President Obama spoke at his State of the Unions, I attended them. Um, My Republican colleagues, they didn't applaud much either. All right, Congressman Andre Carson there. We're also talking about the race for Senate today. Senator Joe Donnelly officially filing for re-election at the State House this past week, along with a group of Republicans looking to unseat him this fall. My job is to stand up for average Hoosiers, and so uh, uh, I have great, great faith in the common sense and the wisdom of the people of our state, and uh, I'm more than happy to put the case before them. I'm laser-focused on beating Joe Donnelly. That's what Hoosier Republicans want us to do. We're not going to beat Joe Donnelly by, by attacking each other, and you're going to see our campaign focus on taking the case to Joe Donnelly and uh, working to bring change to the U.S. Senate. Do you believe you've been more of an ally to the president than Congressman Messer has? Well, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, there was one of us that was with the president when it mattered most, when he was run, running against Hil- crooked Hillary. Uh, so, yeah, ally then, ally now and we're always gonna support the president as best we can. You've raised a lot of money as well. A good chunk of that is money you have loaned to your campaign. How do you respond to those who claim you're trying to buy a seat in the Senate? Well, they'd have to know why nobody does this, and that's because if you don't commit to doing that significantly up front, the folks that do it for a living, like Rokita and Messer, they got all their money in a way that I'd rather do it my way. They got it from PACs and lobbyists and political insiders. All right, Braun also responding to this, Todd Rokita's campaign sending two people to the State House dressed in Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama masks to highlight Mike Braun's record of voting in Democratic primaries. They also sent someone dressed in a, in a milk bottle with Luke Messer's picture on it. Some backlash from Braun and others. More later and more of our interview with Braun about all of this next Sunday. Right now, my colleague Matt Smith joins me to talk more about this Senate race and some interesting fundraising numbers and and signature numbers about what the candidates have collected so far, how much money they've raised. Some aggressive passes at each other, some passive aggressive passes at each other. (laughs) We saw those, but the numbers, not only the signatures, but these fundraising numbers you're talking about or you're not talking about, depending on what we saw. Senator Joe Donnelly, fourth quarter, raised $1.2 million. What we have to look at is this cash on hand, 5.3. Also keep in mind, and as you know, he's had years to build up this war chest, so to speak. Among the Republicans, this is where it gets a bit interesting. When we look at money, you talk to Mike Braun about this, $2 million in the fourth quarter. The interesting thing about this $2 million, about 1.75 of that came from himself. From himself, alone to his campaign. To the campaign. You asked him about that, he said, hey, 
this is what you got to do to compete, right? But he's 2. catching 3 up in terms hand. of that cash on hand. Look at that bottom number yeah. as we look at the other two, Rokita and Messer, raising about 459000 in the fourth quarter, $2.42 million on hand. And then when you look at Luke Messer, $2.43 million on hand, raising four hundred thirty. The fourth quarter numbers for these two, not that impressive, overly analysts are yeah. saying. But it's this cash on hand that you have to look at between now those three as they really ramp up towards May. The candidates in Messer's congressional district running to replace him. Uh, Jonathan Lamb actually raising more money than Greg Pence in the last quarter as well. But yeah. a lot of that also coming from himself yes. in terms of a loan to his own campaign. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Matt. Yep. Rokita and Messer were not on board when it happened, but... Check out what happened in Virginia this week. My head kind of went back into the seat hard, and my knee went into the front of the seat, or into the back of the seat. We were sitting behind. That was the scene Wednesday near Charlottesville. No serious injuries on this train, but the driver of the garbage truck they hit was killed in that crash. Republican lawmakers on board when it happened. Indiana Congressman Larry Bouchon and his wife, both doctors, helped treat people there at the scene. A decorated local veteran will be part of the coin toss ceremony later today at the Super Bowl. This season, NFL players have sparked a nationwide debate about protest and patriotism. And Vietnam veteran Sammy Davis has some thoughts about that as he prepares to take part in the pregame festivities. Well, I hope it encourages America to stand up and be involved. If you see something that you don't agree with, do you turn your back and walk off or do you stand up and be involved in it? That's what America is about, is to stand up and be involved and try to change it or at least explain why you feel this way in your heart. Davis will be part of a group of veterans taking the field for the coin toss before today's Super Bowl. Go Eagles, right? All right, speaking of football, we'll talk about this fight over the Fighting Irish up next. Plus, what do the poll numbers say about the president's State of the Union? We'll dive into that. And what will Amazon think about everything happening in India and in Indiana? That rallying cry on both sides of the aisle for different reasons. We'll explain after the break. Time to bring in our panel now. Tim Swearens is a columnist and opinions editor with our partners at the Indy Star. Republican Tony Samuel was vice chair of the Indiana Trump campaign. And Democrat Christina Hale, former state lawmaker and candidate for lieutenant governor in 2016. Let's talk about this memo and this fight between the FBI, Congress, and the president. All of this kind of overshadowing the State of the Union this past week. A lot of people talking about what's going to happen now with the FBI director, with the deputy attorney general. Uh, will they resign or be forced out? This could be quite a situation here. Oh, it is quite a situation. I think that's how we need to appreciate it and approach it. But there's so much confusion right now. It's like matter and antimatter, you know, memos and anti-memos. What's really happening, I think we need to put on the brakes, really think this through, investigate, and then forward action will be more clear. Depending on who you hear from, this is anywhere from damaging to a dud of a memo. Do you think it's vindicating for the president? I think it is. Uh, uh, from, from the start, there's been a domino effect, and, and what we've seen is a year's worth of leaks and investigations and, and indictments, but not for what uh, the, the purpose of the investigation was. There's no proof of Russian collusion. Uh, and you, you look back at that first domino, and it came from these FISA uh, warrants that weren't justified. There was a tainted procedure at the, at the top of the FBI that led to those first FISA uh, warrants being issued, and, and, and the public needs to know about that. It's well, a good and thing. Well, Tony, that this many came leaks out. from within the administration itself as well. And from the FBI and from James Comey. So, 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 legitimate questions about how the FBI and DOJ handled the investigation before the FISA court. 
it looks like they, it, based on the memo, uh, they weren't nearly as transparent as they should have been. With that said, however, it does not mean that there were not troubling connections and communications between the Trump campaign and the Russian And government. Congressman Banks made that point, the Republican congressman. It doesn't mean yeah. that, that all, nothing has been proven yet. So, I mean, we've gone on this for, for more than a year now, or about a year, uh, at a, a tremendous expense to taxpayers. There should be some kind of a limit, it would seem to me. I mean, they've had this their time. There should be some kind of uh, deadline to this. Uh, the public also has the right to know what the expense is. The American public is searching for integrity and truth and certainty, and I think we have to be very cautious and follow prescribed procedure and take our time finding that truth. It would be fascinating to know what Dan Coats has to say about all this. The former senator is now the director of national intelligence. Part of these discussions this yes. week. It would be fascinating. I'm not sure he's going to be. No, he's very not going to be out there about in the this. Eye, maybe, maybe he shouldn't right. be, but it would certainly be fascinating to hear his thoughts. All right, hard to sort all of this out. We will continue to try. As for the State of the Union, uh, certainly Tim, mm -hmm. Tony, Christina, uh, all of this news seemed to overshadow a, a, a speech that was fairly well received on Tuesday night. It was well received, and, and it was a good speech from the president. Now, always with President Trump, you wonder what's he going to tweet tomorrow that will undercut any good uh, momentum he has from the speech. Uh, some numbers here from a CBS News YouGov poll taken after the State of the Union show that among people who watched the speech, 75 percent approved of the speech, just 25 percent disapproved. But it also shows uh, while 65 percent uh, say the speech made them feel proud. 35% said it made them feel safer. 14% said it made them scared. 21% said it made them feel angry. Uh, when you look at who actually watched the speech, party identification among those who viewed it, mainly Republicans, some independents, not all that atypical of State of the Union speeches, which tend to be viewed uh, most by uh, the president's party. Uh, Tony, what did you make of Tuesday night? I think, Nancy, and these numbers. I think Nancy Pelosi and, and some of her Democrat colleagues that refused to clap and refused to sit up voted quite a bit to get to that 21% angry uh, number. <laughs> but I, I really, to be serious about that, I think there were two things to the speech. One, the president showed uh, a, a great message and a great message of unity going forward, but also the successes that the American people have seen in its first year. And then the second story to this is just how angry the Democrats looked, I think uh, it really showed them in a terrible light, and I think it's going to hurt them down the road. Did this speech put Democrats in a box somewhat? I don't think so. I mean, this is very typical behavior for these kinds of speeches. I mean, you look at the state of the state and the Indiana State House, much of the same behavior tends to happen, and it's just, you know, what team are you on? But I will say, he did enjoy a moment where he felt presidential and more people than not kind of were feeling that and I think the American people wanted to enjoy that longer than they got to because right away um, the president dialed back on a channel crazy. Well he, he did chide Democrats for not applauding much during the speech but we did see Tuesday night one Indiana Democrat who was clapping at times. We no longer tell our enemies our plans. And right there you see Senator Joe Donnelly, uh, one of the only Democrats in that uh, cutaway shot who is uh, clapping. Uh, he was seen at, at another point in the speech clapping as well. Clapping because he wants to or because he has to in a re-election year? Well, I don't even know that he thought anyone was particularly watching. I mean, he's his own man, and he does the right thing, does his homework, and I think if he felt moved to clap, he was going to do it. What do you guys make of that? It, it struck me as a polite clap, not a particularly enthusiastic clap. I would agree with that, and I would also suggest 
they talked about this beforehand, and that's what's really bad about this, I think, is that was a strategy, hey, we're not going to clap, we're not going to show any kind of support, and that's bad for the country. You, were, you used the word polite. I don't know that anyone would use that word to describe the Senate race here in Indiana so far. There was this fight uh, this past week over the fighting Irish, of all things. Luke Messer putting out a statement after an ESPN commentator said maybe the fighting Irish should change their name or mascot like the Cleveland Indians are doing. Messer called them ESPC. Senator Donnelly's campaign said Messer was, quote, only seeking attention and said anyone looking for a senator who will be a good steward of the fighting Irish's legacy will probably vote for the two-time graduate of Notre Dame, Joe Donnelly. Silly season maybe here. Extremely silly season. Meanwhile, we have a $20 trillion national debt. We have uh, ongoing tensions with North Korea. We have all sorts of serious problems, and this is what Luke Messer wants to talk about. I think you're so right. I mean, what next? Do, does he think we have to rebrand Lucky Charms? You know, <laughs> let's talk about what really matters. Well, let's talk about this Senate race. What did you make of some of the fundraising numbers that came out? Mike Braun lending his campaign a lot of money. He basically has as much in the bank now as Messer and Rokita and has more signatures collected at this well, point. Well, and I, I think from recent polling that I'm aware of, it's having an effect, but more so in catching Luke Messer. Uh, and I also think, you know, spending your own money is, you know, what, he, what he's decided to do. And it's effective to a certain point, but with 90-some days left, I just don't think it's going to be enough. All right, we've got to move on to some developments at the State House this past week on the review of Indiana's Department of Child Services. The new director speaking for the first time, also talking about two recommendations from that firm investigating DCS. And also this week, the latest effort to pass a hate crime bill failed at the State House. Indiana's hate crime law was repealed back in 1977 as part of an overhaul of the criminal code. All of that and other issues like RIFRA from a couple years back leading some outside groups to call for Amazon to leave Indianapolis off its list of potential cities for its second American headquarters. Tim, your colleague Matt Tully writing in the Indy Star this week, oh no, but, but what will Amazon think? Uh, and some have posed that question on a couple different issues this week. It seems like on issues like the hate crime, mass transit, just dysfunction in city government. A lot of people are worried about Amazon's perception of Indiana and Indianapolis. The good thing for Indianapolis and Indiana is there's a lot of political dysfunction across the country, so we're not alone in, in having that problem. Uh, I will say, though, on a serious note, that the failure to pass hate crimes legislation is really inexcusable. That's an easy fix. It's the right thing to do. Forty-five other states have already done and it. it may have had the votes, but it, they didn't it take have, it up for a vote. But, yeah. Yeah, it's unconscionable, really. Only one of five other states. Why? All right. Not this, good enough. We mentioned some of the dysfunction uh, in local government, and we talked about that this past week. City Council President Stephen Clay firing council staff attorney, clerk, and assistant clerk, something his opponents say is illegal. They feel he's doing it to save his presidency with a vote pending on that in the coming days. Clay saying that he felt he had every right to make that move. Hard to know where this saga goes next for local Democrats. All I can say is drama, drama, drama. Once again, I think what we have to keep in mind, the needs of the people. We've got potholes. We've got violence. We've got a lot of practical things before us. And the last thing people care about is playing politics. The mayor got zinged. He was called Pothole Joe this past week by Jim Merritt for all the potholes. Potholes are bad. And, and the <laughs> silliness on the council is, is again, inexcusable. Yeah. In the fact that, uh, you know, I, I, I want, as an Indianapolis resident, I want to be able to drive uh, to my office without losing my car in a pothole. I want my wife and children to feel safe on our streets. These are serious problems that need to be addressed, 
and the council is is uh, immersed in simply partisan politics. All right, we've got to leave it there. We'll be right back after this with much more, including a look at uh, Tim's series in the Indy Star. Really hope you've had a chance to check out the Indy Star this week. The series exploited a 10-part series on human trafficking launching this past week on IndyStar.com. Our colleague Tim Swearens has been behind that project. You guys posted a yet another uh, heart-wrenching video on the site this week. Here's a preview of what's coming your way uh, later this week. I was at a home for child trafficking victims in Mexico when the girls who lived there lined up to, to greet me. They shared their ages and their dreams for the future. 12, 14, 15-year-olds, one wanted to be a teacher, uh, one a lawyer, one a hairstylist. And then it came time for the last girl in line to, to introduce herself. She was standing beside me and I looked down at her and she looked up at me. And she said she wanted to become a veterinarian and that she was six years old. More of this heartbreaking video coming your way later this week at IndyStar.com. Tim, what has the reaction been uh, so far and what else will we be seeing this week? It's been a very strong reaction and um, this week, this coming week, um, we're sharing what I call the small things column um, and it's about the six-year-old and um, a six-year-old so young that she needs training wheels but she's not too young, too old to be a sex trafficking Shocking. survivor. Christina, I know it's an issue you've worked on in the past in the state legislature as well. Um, it's something probably people don't want to talk about or even sometimes hear about, but it's so important to know that this happens around the world, even in Indiana. It's happening here in Indiana all the time. In fact, one in six girls, by the time they graduate from high school here in Happy Wholesome, Indiana, are raped or sexually assaulted by the time they leave school. We have growing rates of children aged zero to five reporting at emergency centers and urgent care clinics with raging sexually transmitted diseases. This is happening. It's a health problem. It's a public safety problem, and it's right here in Indiana. We'll keep watching for your series, Exploited, at IndyStar.com this week. Back right after this. Stick around. All right, we'll wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tim. President Trump for a solid State of the Union speech is a winner. Loser, Indiana Senate for killing hate crimes legislation once again. Tony. I'm agreeing uh, with Tim, my winner at President Trump, a very inspiring speech, I thought. Christina? Tim Swarns, thank you for his important work thank on you. the topic of human trafficking. We all echo those sentiments, and we thank you for joining us this week. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Have a great weekend. Okay, talking about 2018 a little bit more, a little bonus content here on the InFocus podcast. And, you know, a lot of big developments this past week. We went through some of the Senate fundraising numbers and who's raising money, who's collecting signatures. But some interesting news really on some of the congressional races as well. We briefly mentioned that Jonathan Lamb has outraised Greg Pence, granted with a lot of his own money uh, in the fourth quarter in uh, Luke Messer's district. But also in the 9th District, I, I know you'd wanted to talk a little bit about the congressional race. Down in that 9th District, Liz Watson has now outraised Trey Hollingsworth for the second straight cycle. Uh, do Democrats have a chance there? I think they do. I mean, it was a lot closer than people would have expected. The two cycles before that, also a, a very strong woman candidate down from Bloomington, a, a city councilwoman. So I wouldn't count Liz out. She's got a lot of energy and she's succeed, succeeding. At the same time, Trey Hollingsworth has a lot of money. We talk about candidates self-financing. He did that last time. He could certainly add more. 
to the campaign coffers. Um, where should Republicans be most concerned looking at the map? The, the ninth district in Indiana is probably the one that could potentially flip just because Trey Hollingsworth is a first term incumbent. Uh, it is a district that's a little more balanced than some of the others. Um, and, you know, the Tennessee Trey image is still hanging around a little bit. He's also so been really quiet. He has He's done a great job hiding, is what you mean. Right, right Dan? Well, there's no. been a lot of the news. You know, there's been yeah. a lot going on. But a lot of it's going to depend on the national uh, political uh, mood and movement as to what happens here in some of these individual districts. If it's a big Democratic wave, then Hollingsworth could be in trouble. But if Republicans can balance things somewhat, then he's probably okay. They've always called it the bloody ninth for a reason. That's you right. Know? Some, uh, some fresh faces on the Republican side. Yeah, well, on Trey, I was just going to say, he's done a good job his first year freshman, keeping his head down, absorbing and learning. I think you'll see more of him uh, this year. And I, I, I think as far as the Democrat wave, I just have a, a strong gut feeling with things that are happening now, they're going to be running uh, more towards... Uh, the Republican uh, side of things as far as the jobs, uh, all, all of the jobs uh, uh, that are being created and the, the, the bonuses and the increase in wages that we're seeing from companies, that's going to have a mega effect on, on the voting public. You know, we uh, talked about the State of the Union and that perhaps putting the Democrats in a box somewhat. Did the shutdown do the same? I mean, it, the, the momentum for this blue wave we keep hearing about, did that hit a bit of a wall, a bit of a hiccup for the Democrats there? Uh, and how do they uh, move past that now in, in, in this moment where it seems like the Republicans might be scoring some, some winning points on messaging? What I think is really interesting is that we are constantly accelerating this news cycle. Oh, and it just does not stop. Hours. There's always so much to talk about. Yeah. And do you know the latest, what's happening with this memo? So I think that is going to have an effect, just the volume that's coming through. And no one can predict it. I think the American people, too, just want some solid ground to stand on to say, like, hey, I want to be able to count on this. You know, no more drama. But, you know, you talk about national politics having a big effect on Indiana. We saw that in 2016. Everybody thought Evan Bayh was going to win the Senate seat. Uh, <clears> and <throat> a lot of people thought that John Gregg was going to be governor, yeah. thought you would be the lieutenant yeah. governor. And Some people did, Dan. I did. I, I, I think your point uh, is a good one as far as Democrats stumbling, starting with that, uh, uh, the shutdown, uh, now how they reacted to the speech. Uh, also, looking forward, President Trump has put out a great plan for infrastructure and for uh, immigration reform. They're not reacting well to that. That It's just going to be a cycle, I think, and that's why I say by the time the 2018 election comes around, people are going to realize... Hey, and let's stop just talking about domestic <laughs> policy. How about foreign policy? How about, you know, people thinking bombs might be well, coming over right. from and North at Korea? At the same time, yeah. we're nine months out from the election. Well, it's a long way away. Yeah, it, it, there could be a lot happening I think he's then. handling that situation really well. Oh, it, look it, at what's happening with the Olympics. It's a long way off. You, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, did the shutdown hurt Democrats or uh, did they hit a wall on momentum, but at the same time, while people say the speech went pretty well Tuesday night, you also hear people saying, look, look back at the last year, there has been a lot of chaos in Washington. Yeah, absolutely. It's been the, 2017 was the year of chaos in, in our political uh, environment, and we'll see what happens in 2018. It's still early in the year. Again, I, I think the chaos is caused by folks on the left, media and Democrats, coming up with just everything they can, everything they can to bash the president. You don't think was, he's caused was, any chaos? If it was true chaos, you wouldn't see 
uh, the great numbers we're seeing in the stock market. You wouldn't see him succeeding in cutting regulations, 22 to for every one regulation uh, that's, that's been placed. You wouldn't see reform of the VA. You wouldn't see uh, a great push for, for strengthening so our military. Uh, you wouldn't today. see ISIS being defeated. So if there was true chaos, you wouldn't see these things. Well, so, so a couple things going on. Uh, you're, you're, you're right. The, the administration actually accomplished a number of important things last year. What happened, however, though, is the president continually undercut his administration's Steps own momentum because he's so undisciplined as a communicator. Uh, if, if they would just hide his phone from him, get him off of Twitter, it would, it, you know, it would drastically change uh, the image of this administration that so many people have. You're well. exactly right. How, how high a percentage of Republicans would vote to dive tackle Donald Trump and take his cell phone away from him? You know, I got to put that at 80%. There's one person it. on this panel <laughs> smart <laughs> enough not to be on Twitter. Tony <laughs> yeah. Samuel, no right social here, right? media for me. The one, the, 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 you know. The way I've always seen it, and I think the way uh, the true tr Trump supporters have seen it, is this is a guy that's not going to take anything uh, that that is that he's being wrongly accused or wrongly attacked for, and he's going to push back. And so he pushes back, and then it causes a media frenzy, and and that's why we call, you might call it chaos. But it's really not chaos because he's still getting things. Well, and nobody's brought up his love life or porn stars or anything Ooh. else like that. No, you know, on this show. Not on this show yeah. yet, but certainly a lot of people have brought it up on late night TV this week, right? Um, you know, though, you, you talk about the memo. You talk about frenzy. We could see an even further frenzy uh, from this. What will happen? Will the FBI director uh, say he doesn't want to stay and resign over this? Will Rod Rosenstein? Uh, be pushed aside. Uh, there could still be a lot of things happening on this memo story that cause further chaos. And even even broader than that, the Mueller investigation. If 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 Mueller comes out with serious charges, serious accusations against high-ranking administration officials, that's going to definitely have an effect on the elections in November. On the other hand, if if he comes out and it's minor. Um, then all of the noise that Democrats have made about this suddenly gets undercut. And their message perhaps being undercut by the memo that came out this week as well. Exactly. And, you know, I'd like to return to a point that Tony made also about our president. And I think he's right. You know, there is a consistency in his behavior and his character. So I think nobody's surprised by all the surprises. And that in and of itself is, a, you know, I, I, I guess you could extrapolate some sanity from that. But, you know, it keeps us busy. It keeps us it keeps busy. Us busy right? But it is consistent. Well, one thing that we haven't talked about when we talk about could there be more changes at DOJ or FBI, there have been some changes. There have been people reassigned or, or, mm -hmm. or getting out. Those are the folks that in the beginning of all of this, we're doing things that could very well be illegal, unethical for sure. I'm talking about Peter Strzok and, and, and his girlfriend there in the FBI, their text messages and their bias against the president and, and for Hillary Clinton and also McCabe and others. I think there'll be others. Can you remember, uh, really, probably since Nixon, any time in America where people you know who follow politics know the name of the deputy attorney general and the oh. White House counsel? When they bring people on cable these days, on, on the cable networks from from previous administrations, from the Bush administration, the Obama administration, who had these same roles, you look at them and think, I never heard of that guy. Yeah. But th in this news cycle, 
we've heard of a lot of people in a lot of different roles that you don't normally hear about. No you're, matter which you're side so you're right. There is a cult of celebrity, isn't there, Dan? I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Hope Hicks, Kellyanne Conway, you know, uh, Steve Bannon, all these people that are suddenly somebody. If you have not seen The Post yet, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, it's a good movie, uh, informative movie. And it's, it's, it's impossible to watch that movie and not think of parallels with what's going on today. All right. Except that with with that, you know, there the media wanted transparency. Here, the media is attacking folks uh, on the Republican side for for putting out the memo and asking, looking for more transparency. I think the media always DOJ wants to, you know, transparency That's and wants to see what's out there. Um, you know, you do hear uh, Democrats calling for the release of their memo to get the full story on it. We'll, see, sure. where, we'll see where it all goes next. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us in Focus on the Go. We'll see you next week.